as long as you're really good with talking to people <laughs> and engaging and you're passionate about the mission, like you're a salesperson for the organization and you're a marketer for the organization and you should feel really proud about the work you do in your communities. Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. In today's episode, we sit down with Lori Finch to talk about how to get buy-in on a new software solution. Lori works here at Foundant as our Director of Nonprofit Sales and Sales Enablement, and some of the topics she covers are the role that software plays in philanthropy, how to communicate the value of software with your boss, and some general marketing and selling advice. So without further ado, here's Lori. I like to say that my career in um, working with nonprofits or for nonprofits actually started when I was a little kid. I grew up, I say, under the table, um, listening to meetings, board meetings that my mom was participating in. She was a career volunteer, and, and I really kind of admired what she did and how she gave back to the community through connections, stumbled upon the San Diego Foundation. I knew nothing about community foundations um, and got myself a job um, working with nonprofits. Uh, it was perfect for me because while I love nonprofits, I didn't really, I wasn't like, I need to work for an arts organization or environment. And so when I was there, I was actually responsible for working with all types of nonprofits. So um, as I said, if you called the foundation and you were a nonprofit, you got me for six years. And then we got transferred back to Washington, D.C., which is where I'd gone to college. I ended up working for GuideStar, which is now Candid, um, working again with community foundations, but helping them develop a program for communities to engage nonprofits. Um, and then met a technology company called Kimbia. I really got intrigued by how technology could change the landscape of fundraising and then transitioned to uh, another digital fundraising one who who offered sort of a breadth of di different ways to engage. So peer-to-peer -peer events, et cetera, called iDonate in Dallas and then left and really kind of explored what I wanted to do. And, and I found my way to found it, which for me was um, an amazing find because Foundant works both with community foundations and nonprofits. A bigger um, footprint into the technology that nonprofits need. I mean, I can't tell you how many I know who still man manage things in spreadsheets and, you know, sort of piecemealing solutions together. Um, so um, this was really kind of um, a wonderful opportunity for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's kind of the theme of this discussion is the importance of software and how to communicate and get buy-in for a new software solution. I kind of want to start, what do you think the role of software is in philanthropy? I like to say, you know, software solutions are really kind of the backbone of philanthropy. It It is the vehicle in which um, organizations and nonprofits, foundations, whatever, um, can do more good. Um, it is a way to make organizations more efficient um, and more effective in what they do. There is so much focus on ensuring like donors' dollars go to doing the work of the community. And the only way that works is if there's technology to help support it. Humans could do it, but it takes a really, really long time from that perspective. 
it's super important. Not to mention that we're all reliant on the data that you can sort of extrapolate from the systems and and really to make good decisions on where to invest your time and energy and your funds in your community. Um, or, you know, that's from a grant application perspective, like how are funders supposed to sort through all these pieces of paper and sort of make things work and then being able to communicate out the impact that organizations are having. So it is essential um, in various different ways and various different types of technology to have have it um, to be able to do the work as an organization. I can't even imagine a time where people were managing every single thing that needed to be done in a community foundation or a nonprofit with a spreadsheet, let alone handwritten letters and filing cabinets. How do you communicate the value of software and really get buy-in? How do you talk to your boss about it when it's like, we've done this the same way for so many years? How do you overcome some of, of those common objections? I mean, nonprofits and boards have, are very, very cost conscious. Again, that's that getting the dollars um, into the community or you know going towards helping others traditionally been an underinvestment in sort of that capacity building or those resources for for people to automate and do things and leverage technology. That's because we don't value our time. There's not a value on someone's time to do it. Therefore, there's a lot of emphasis on sort of the cost and not really the benefit of leveraging technology. And that is from a value perspective. Um, I find it really is helpful if you can talk about the return on investment and really appeal to that. So how much time will we save? How many hours can we put into the mission and how much risk you can avoid? And that one is actually a real key one for me because this level of standard to which you have to steward donor dollars and account for them with the IRS to maintain your tax status, like you need a system to be able to support that. Um, and, and the risk of not doing that risk your status as a nonprofit and, and that's kind of incredible. So from a communicating value, um, I think probably it's time saved and then that time put into mission. And no one can sort of um, argue with that because that's really what they want in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've had those types of conversations so many times throughout your career. Are there reoccurring things that you hear in opposition to purchasing a software solution? Yes. Um, from an internal perspective, some of the S the most or probably the most common one is sort of being risk adverse. So they have something that works, whether or not it works well or not is sort of remains to be seen, but the, the risk of choosing something and failing so that everyone seems to have a, I did this and, or we had this, there's, they're like, there's like battle, you know, battlefield stories of like, bad investments or, you know, things that didn't work and, and technology's come a long way. And certainly like there is a risk to changing systems and that's really kind of the biggest hurdle. Yeah. The risks of change are so apparent to people, but maybe some of the risks of say burnout or inefficiencies with your current process are underplayed. Is there any sort of way to 
actually calculate ROI on time saved or even like consider burnout in your organization? Or is that just something that you kind of need to gauge on your own as a leader? That's a great question, Logan. I, um, it's fairly easy to quantify how much time you think you'll, you'll save. I mean, but we have case studies internally to, to be able to provide them, but that burnout factor is, is huge. And, um, every time I read about the nonprofit sector, I mean, you see like they're being asked to do, people are being asked to do more and more um, with less and burnout is huge. And we do hear that like, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. And it's so for us, it's um, a little bit of, okay, like I haven't seen a study on it, but probably it would be good to look at like how much of the turnover or people leaving jobs is related to that, because that is that's probably the biggest risk nonprofits have more so than changing technology is the risk of losing people who have been there and have, you know, done that and are sort of holding everything together with systems that aren't really systems um, in place. I also have such respect for the founded sales team because I don't know a lot of places that when they hear a pain point and they know that the solution that they're trying to sell if it doesn't solve that pain point, they'll be just really upfront like, oh, our software doesn't do that. It seems like the culture at Foundant is very committed to making sure it's the right fit before committing to anything because we would rather make sure the clients are guaranteed to be successful rather than finding that out down the line and wasting time and money along the way. So that's something kind of cool about our sales process. Yes. And um, just yesterday, I was on a call with um, an organization who's looking at one of our solutions and, and I'd done my research and it was like, I just want to be clear up front, like based on what solutions you've told me and what where we have, we can solve a lot, but these two things we don't do currently. And it was so, I mean, I, I was like, so if we move forward, um, we wanted to be like very transparent. And I think that's really what you're saying is it's like, we're very much looking for, um, we want to be a partner for the long run. Um, and that's really important to us. And so making sure there's a fit, you know, we're setting expectations throughout the process is important. And I would say, if you're looking at solutions, you should definitely look for that. So, you know, if price and price isn't going to work out, um, hate, hate to lose organizations because of price, but that is a factor you know, being very upfront and honest and open and we have a very transparent system, it's important. And I would look for that when you're looking at technology. Yeah. And it's funny, I heard you mentioned long-term. I think that's also kind of baked into these software purchasing decisions for nonprofits is sometimes you're making a decision on a system that you want to be with the organization for the next 20 years potentially. Um, so thinking about things like what direction is the organization headed? What's their track record of adapting to the needs of the sector? Um, are there any other sort of like long-term considerations that you think people making a purchasing decision should be thinking of? I mean, I think one of the things I really like about Foundin is this like we're committed to the philanthropic sector. So like we're actually seeing things from a funder's perspective, community foundations and nonprofits. And so we're kind of understanding in, in aggregate, what are the trends that are going on? And we can kind of adapt um, and build solutions to, to help do that. 
Yeah, that's well said, kind of considering all the sides of it. But I also had it in here to just ask you kind of broadly about your marketing and selling skills. It seems like you've kind of had that skill set in all your positions, even though um, I think a lot of people might be able to relate to this. It's like, I didn't sign up to be marketing or selling something in this role that I'm in, in the philanthropic sector, Where, at, but it's kind of expected that um, you're out there selling your program or marketing, even if it's just on social media. Do you have any sort of general advice or resources on how to grow your skills in these areas? That's a great question. I always say that I'm an and like I'm an accidental. I was an accidental development person, and I was an I like fundraiser and an accidental salesperson. And I think, um, you know, so many people are um, nonprofit professionals. I mean, I I would say like everyone who works for a nonprofit is actually a development person, even if it's not in their job descriptions. And every single impression that you make with whether it's your the clients of your organizations or donors or potential donors is a chance to build a relationship and that relationship um, uh, can bring more funds to your organization. So as long as you're really good with talking to people and engaging and you're passionate about the mission, like you're a salesperson for the organization and you're a marketer for the organization and you should feel really proud about the work you do in your communities. As far as resources, um, for me, um, there's an organization called Nonprofit Learning Lab. They have some great like in-person and virtual courses that are either free or nearly free. And I think um, that's a great place to start to kind of understand. Um, there's a ton of resources online as well. Um, for me personally, when I was trying to learn about fundraising, I did Indiana University's Center on Philanthropy Fundraising School program. They have a certificate in fundraising management. And, and that was huge. Just everything from all the different ways people um, can support an organization. So, so thinking of it as revenue to your organization. So your annual fund events and like all of the different strategies and tactics for that. It was nice because it was high level. And yet you also learned a lot about the different ways they did it. But and I also just think it's showing up authentically and talking about what you love about your organization and that can make you the most valuable salesperson or marketer for your organization because assuming you like what you do um, and you talk about it, you know, that's really all it is from a sales perspective is connecting with people. Um, people give because they support people. Um, and so it's hard to think about and, and a lot of people don't want that title. Like there's connotations to doing development or doing sales. And, and yet I think it's the job of everyone in an organization to do that. Well, thank you for sharing those resources. Hopefully they're still around. I'll link those in the show notes so people can check them out on their own. Also, I will link um, this quarter we have webinars, um, education webinars on communicating for good. And Laura, you actually teamed up with Erica to be on that educational webinar as well as a follow-up Q&A session. How, how did that go? Oh, I just loved Erica's um, session on communicating for good. It was a really, it was really fun. It was really eye-opening. I think um, from the perspective of how communication styles can 
influence how people consume information in your organization and and um, how you can recognize other people's communication styles in your organization or outside of it and sort of adapt or adopt different techniques to to make sure that you're communicating effectively with them. So as she says, um, and we talked a little bit about it, it's, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So using the right words, um, she had a tool called Wordifier too for using new words. Um, it was just really, it was fun, um, entertaining. She's also highly entertaining and very well-spoken. So it was fun to participate in a webinar and Q&A session with her. Yeah, she's just a master communicator. I really liked the Q&A too. Um, were there any key takeaways from that for you? I think it really just highlighted, she talked, to, there were a lot of questions in the Q&A around how do you communicate to peers? How do you communicate up? How do you communicate with people, with donors from the outside? Um, and sort of how do you do that when maybe you're not in a position of power? Um, and so sort of understanding how that impacts how you communicate. And she, and then also the mediums in which you did it as well. So whether it be email or report or a meeting, um, how you did that. Erica really did a good job about it was just saying that, that it doesn't matter per se who you're communicating with. You can be more efficient or effective if you understand their style. And she talks about the four different styles. So talking to people who are process people in a way that they can understand people who are more relational, um, making sure you ask them questions about maybe how their weekend was or how they're feeling and just using those ways to build rapport and trust and then be able to communicate there. So um, I think what she was saying is it's, it doesn't have to be tricky. It's just that you, it's important to sort of recognize how um, others might hear or learn the information that you're sharing. And how relevant to what we've been talking about, getting buy-in on a software solution, thinking about the position of power dynamic, that's definitely important, and communication style. How do you broach this big, scary topic in a way that will be heard by people in a positive way, by your boss or the board? Yeah, the communication aspect, I think, is really important there. So. Yes, I think that that's uh, that's a great point. And I think it doesn't have to be hard, um, but you really do need to think about what what you say um, and what you're saying and and, um, how you're involving people in the process. And that sort of she she just did a wonderful she was really fun, too. I encourage people to listen to the webinar and um, and use the tool where you can identify your own personal style. And if you manage a team or work with a team. Um, especially if you're doing any of that, like um, norms around teams, because you have new projects, like taking a look at your communication styles, it's it can be a super fun activity for you to recognize and play off of them and then be able to anticipate how others might respond to what you're saying. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll link all of those resources in the show notes. I almost wonder if I should make a podcast version of that recorded webinar because it just sounds so valuable. I definitely want to re-listen to all the all the nuggets in there. I, I highly encourage you to. I guess my last question, is there anything you're looking forward to or excited about here at Foundant in the upcoming future? 
I'm a big, big believer that there is so much more opportunity and so much more we can do with the right tools in place. I love Foundance mission. And I think that we have a huge opportunity. We're you know, launching new products, working with and supporting nonprofit organizations. And I'm excited to build partnerships in that area. So really, as I mentioned at the start, sort of nonprofits are the backbone of our communities and do so much of the hard work. And so just being able to help them a little bit makes me get up every day and have fun coming to work.